Hello there, and welcome to Women of Grit, a podcast that holds space for women to have authentic conversations about our intersectional challenges and where we elevate women's voices, celebrate their strengths, and honor their resilience. I'm your host, Dr. Ann, the Gritpreneur and Woman of Grit. Come on in. We saved a seat at the table for you. On today's episode, we have a guest. Her name is Dr. Nguyen Anyangwe. Dr. Anyangwe is an experienced adjunct professor at Howard University in Washington, D.C. She has a passion for promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion, empowering women and the girl child, and cancer prevention. Dr. Anyangwe is a sought-after keynote speaker and mistress of ceremonies. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Nguyen Anyangwe to Woman of Grit podcast. Hi, how are you? And welcome. How are you this evening? Oh, wow. Dr. Ann, thank you so much. I'm really, really excited to be on your show tonight. And thank you so much for giving me the honor and the privilege to be on this wonderful show of yours. I'm so honestly so proud of you, my dear friend. Honestly, you've done so well. And I just could not help but come on your show to support this wonderful work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for that. Um, I am I am honored to have you on here because I, you are an inspiration. I'm all about women. I'm all about elevating women's voices. So having you on my show just completely made sense. When I was looking for a woman in STEM to come on, and encourage, share her experience and encourage other uh, young ladies. You know, in your bio, you talk about the girl child. So definitely to encourage more girl children to go Mm -hmm. into STEM fields. We definitely know that not enough women are in the STEM field right now. And we definitely want that number to increase. So that brings me to my first question. What motivated you to go into STEM? What was your encouragement? How did you end up going into the STEM field? Well, thank you, Dr. Ann, for that very good question. I'll tell you, though, that <laughs> STEM has always been something that I, it, it just seems to me like it was in it. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know anything besides science. I grew up in a home where my dad, even though he was a judge at the time I knew him, but he actually started off as a pharmacist. So just being around him, he was an all-rounder. He always spoke about science. My dad had a textbook of pharmacology. As young as I was, in, I cannot, from one or from two in Seca, I used to pick up my dad's pharmacology textbook, read them and have conversations with him. So right from my home, I would say I was motivated. And then I had cousins, older cousins, who were already in pharmacy school when I was in primary school. I had one who was already at the Amadobello University. She was doing pharmacy and her younger sister was at the University of Yaoundé doing the sciences. And then to top it all, my uncle also got married to Dr. Anyangwe Stella at the time. 
She was Dr. Stella Nwige. And I'll tell you that she really was a role model for me at the time as a young girl, seeing her as a medical doctor, working at the Bamenda General Hospital. So I had all of this, I would say, beginning from my environment, my father, and then my cousins who were all in the sciences, and then my uncle getting married to this lady who was a medical doctor. And my mom, even though my own mom ended up being more of a um, English language teacher, but she started off as a biology teacher. So within my environment, I had science people. So I think it stemmed for me, it stemmed up from my home. It just was inherent in me to be a scientist. So that's all I can share regarding that. <laughs> so, you know, I'm hearing, you know, when people we talk about nature versus nurture. Yeah. And so I see a lot of nurturing there. And I totally recognize it. I get that fact that you looked up to Dr. Stella Anyangwe now, who used to be Stella Wigwe. For me, my experience was very similar because the first female physician that I knew was my aunt, Dr. Gladys Martin. She was, I mean, I was in awe of her. And so she was the very first female physician that I ever met. And she was a great source of inspiration, not just for me, but for her own daughter and for many other young ladies who went into medicine. So I'm going to ask my signature question about passion and perseverance. So when it comes to success, achieving success, what do you think is more important, or passion or perseverance? And I always say there is no right answer. I'm just curious how you're thinking, passion or perseverance? You know, for me, I would say perseverance, right? Yeah, you could have the passion to do something, but if you do not persevere, you won't get to the finish line. I'll tell you this. When I was doing my PhD program, the first experiment that I had to do, my first research project, I had to go through it five times because apparently that lab had already done some research and published where they were seeing an upregulation in a specific gene. Mm -hmm. When I was given that project to continue on on that project, I kept seeing a downregulation in that gene. Okay, I repeated that experiment at least five times. So even though I had the passion for science, the passion for cancer biology, molecular biology, if I wasn't determined, if I didn't have any level of resilience in me, quite frankly, that would have turned me off. And I could have just said, well, I'm done with this whole PhD program. So right. to me, perseverance really is the driver. You might have the passion. If you're not hardworking, you're not resilient, you don't have that perseverance, you might never be able to get to that finish line. So thank you for that. You know, I'm thinking of you. What do you think are some of the biggest barriers that women face when pursuing careers in STEM? Thank you for the question. Personally, I would say the first, very first thing is the stereotype, right? That people have about women. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it actually starts from our childhood days. I remember even growing up and you see a girl that likes driving a car or that likes, you know, taking down a little toy and building them up. And instead of people appreciating that little girl, they give her names, they call her Tom Tom boy. boy. <laughs> I you was see? one, I know. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so I think it really stems from that. The stereotypes around certain professions that women should be in, that's one barrier. The second, of course, again, tied to this traditional belief of careers that women should be in 
is some of these implicit or systemic barriers that we have. Some people are just biased, right, about women being in certain professions. For me personally, I'm in the biological sciences. You don't see as much of that as you would see in things like, let's say, engineering, um, you know, but math, physics, see, yeah. Physics, yeah. But you still see a little bit of that. I'll share with you an experience when I was in the university in Nigeria. We had this professor who had just come with his PhD from the University of Ibadan, and he gave a, an exam on organic chemistry. And he had five extra points, right? It was on a hundred, but he had five extra points. And I ended up having a hundred and five. Wow. On 100. This guy decided to investigate me. Ooh. Because he did not think that a woman would have 105 in organic chemistry. So you must have cheated. I must have cheated. Wow. So, so, <laughs> so wow. right there, right? They have the stereotype about, oh, you, you cannot overperform as a woman, right? right? So when you do that, they start thinking, oh, did she do something? And then you have, I go back to my days in Nigeria. You had what they call, I'm sorry, I might have to use the sexually transmitted marks, right? So if a woman is doing very well, people start assuming that you might be having relationships with your professors and stuff yes, like that. So the barriers Absolutely. Again. Yeah, yeah. So those absolutely. are some of the issues. Yep. Then I remember even when I was doing my PhD, I remember one of my advisors kept saying, oh, Andre, you should get married. You should get married. So you have that gender bias, right? That people right. think, yeah, why are you doing a PhD? You know, you should be getting married and having kids. So you have right. all those um, barriers, stereotypes that they have against women, so to speak. Right in uh, the STEM field. So thank you for that answer. That reminds me of a friend I had when I was doing my master's in epidemiology and biostatistics at University of Maryland. I had a classmate who was on the PhD track. So she had some difficulty with one of her mentors. They asked her, well, why do you want a PhD anyway? You've got a master's. You know, a master's is good enough. And she was like, you have a PhD. Why can't I have a PhD? You know, and I'm really, really glad she persisted. She persevered and she eventually got her PhD. It was a case of both gender and her race. You know, women are discouraged. Young girls are discouraged. I mean, literally, sometimes even, you know, your experience was fabulous. You had all that nurturing around you going into the sciences. You know, I think of myself coming from a home with a really strong mother, having all these thoughts in my head about, oh, my gosh, I can conquer the world. And then you go out into the world and you have people who are so narrow minded. It was honestly a shock for me. I was like. What? You know, because growing yeah. up in a home and not experiencing that and then going out into the world and all of a sudden you come across this, these um, barriers that people try to put up for you. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So how do you think we can encourage more girls? It's so funny. We've just talked about all this stuff. And then I'm, I'm asking this question now. What are some of the things we can do to encourage more young girls to go into STEM fields? You know, um, I'll start by saying, I think it should start from the home, right? From right. the family. One thing my dad always told us growing up is what a man can do, a woman can do it even better. I can never forget that. He had two catchphrases he always used. The first one was, your book is your first husband. 
He always said that to us. And the second was, what a man can do, a woman can do even better. So I think it has to start from the home. Right. And then second, we have to think about the teachers, right? Because teachers are gatekeepers of the future of children. Absolutely. So, so the, the teachers have to be able to inculcate that culture into the girl child, right? That you can do it. You deserve a place on the table as a woman, right? right? So the curriculum, even in schools, okay? And then even trying to get more of um, problem solutions, you know, projects that would really stimulate your creativity, your critical thinking for the girl child. What I do normally is I go to um, elementary schools. I know sometimes you can say it's very early on, for a child to know what they want to become when they're in elementary school or when they're in secondary school. But I would say for me, I always knew I wanted to be a medical doctor, right? So I can see that for some people growing up at five, they already know what they want to become. I never ended up being the medical doctor because of course I went to medical school. I couldn't stand cadaver and I left, but I knew what I, what I wanted to become. So we can instill that in young girls. We go to the schools, speak to them. Okay, go to all girls secondary schools, create a curriculum that would foster right will foster STEM fields. Speak to them about the benefits because we know that the high paying jobs are in the STEM field rather than the humanities. Right. So we have to let them understand that if they go into the sciences, they'll definitely be making more money, but you're not just going there because of the money, right? You have to have a little bit of um, passion, passion so, for, it. for it as well. So you just don't become a medical doctor because you love money. You just don't go into the sciences because you love money. You have to have some passion, but at least let's be able to, to create that awareness then that science will just keep growing. The STEM field will keep growing. I was right. looking at some of the statistics. You see, way back in, there's been a lot of growth in the STEM field and it will keep growing. By 2030, you'll have even an additional, maybe 11% increase over right. what we've had in the last three decades of about 79%. Mm -hmm. So it will keep growing. So we have to start first, like I said, from the home to the teachers in the schools and then go further to us who are role models, right, for these young girls. Go, right. go to some of the schools, speak to these girl children, right? right? Also help to develop some curriculum in some of these schools to give them the understanding that STEM is the way to go. Yeah, and then I'm also thinking that another thing we can do, you know, <laughs> when you do um, have some conferences, mm -hmm. that's something I've been thinking about, that I'm not saying we won't have to discriminate because we talk about we don't need to... We are women that have struggled with gender bias. So we also have to be careful that we are not creating the same situation, right? But we can have conferences where we can invite young girls and mm -hmm. actually foster science-based projects in some of those conferences, competitions. I don't think there's anything wrong with that because studies have shown that when young girls go to an all-girls school up to mm -hmm. about eighth grade, they excel. They go into the sciences, you know, mm -hmm. There's just something about a smart girl among a bunch of boys, you know, you're getting to that age where you're wondering if the boys like you and <laughs> you don't want to be too smart. Honestly, uh -huh. women will dim their light. Mm -hmm. People even say, you know, you don't want to be too educated. You don't want to be too smart. You're not going to find a husband. You husband. Know? Like, come on. Yep. Yeah. So literally dim your light. So that mm -hmm. a guy feels better about themselves. No, I think we definitely need to raise our, our daughters differently. I, I don't have that experience. My sister has three. I have one boy. So, you know, <laughs> definitely. And so you're talking about going into schools. I, like you, do not believe that it is too 
early to start going into elementary schools. Because one of the things is um I did I just literally finished a podcast like last night about imposter syndrome. Yeah. And it's not common among women. Society expects us to be perfect. You yeah. know, a perfect little girl. Boys can be rough and mm-hmm. out there and they'll be like, oh yeah, let boys be boys. But then I remember with my experience, it's it, that was like a tomboy. Oh my gosh, I was a tomboy. <laughs> so wow. I would just ex- encourage um young girls to just explore the world you know so definitely you talked about that I was going to ask the question and then I went off on a tangent but Mm -hmm. what role do you think mentorship plays in encouraging young girls to go into the STEM field wow mentorship definitely Dr. Anne plays a big big role Mm -hmm. you know I just sit sometimes and I see um look at women there's one woman I always think about being somebody who works as a pharmacologist now is Dr. Frances Kelsey. I never met her. She died in 2015, but she yeah. was a pharmacologist that worked for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Mm-hmm. And whenever I go to schools, to speak, elementary schools, to speak to students, I always use her as an example. Mm-hmm. Okay, That was a woman who looked at the data mm-hmm. for a specific medication called thalidomide. That was given to pregnant women at the time in the 70s. And she realized that, hmm, this doesn't seem like it's a safe drug to give to pregnant women. And because of her, a situation called focomelia was avoided avoided in the United States. It was approved in Europe and women were already taking it at the time. And because of that, many children were born at that time with focomelia, short limbs and stuff like that. Right, deformed limbs, right. Deformed limbs, yeah. So I always use that as an example. To me, even though she wasn't my mentor director, but she was a role model to me because I look up to her and that's what a mentor should be like, right? Right. To serve as a role model for you. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's very important because as a mentor, what do you do? You're reaching down and pulling up a girl child. You're serving as a coach to that girl child. You're providing her with guidance to reach her career goals. So to me, mentoring is extremely important. And and as women that are in the sciences, I think we should do more of that, right? Absolutely. I'm I'm involved with that, but I don't think I'm I'm as involved as I would have loved to be. I have maybe a couple of mentors and I have people that have told me, oh, when they look at me, they see me as a role model, they look up to me. But do I really have that one-on-one interaction with them? I have maybe two or three people that I have a one-on-one interaction. Mm -hmm. When I go to my professional societies, I usually get involved with those peak um, mentoring or group mentoring programs where graduate students come and you talk to them about your experiences. You give them some sort of um, skill sets that you think they should be looking at to advance in toxicology or pharmacology. What you're trying to do is to guide them, to coach them, to be able to reach their full potential. Because you've been able to make some mistakes in your own life, in your career path. You don't want them to make the same mistakes. So for me, one example I always say is um, working for um, the federal government, for example, and becoming, let's say, a pharmacologist or toxicologist. There are courses that you have to do, right? If nobody tells you about that, you do not know. But now that I know better, I can advise a mentee that... These are the courses you should take if you want to right. become them. So it's very important because it's going yeah. to help some of these young girls get to that finish line of becoming 
STEM scientist. And a lot of times they don't know what they don't know. Yeah. So having a mentor actually tells them what they don't know. So mm -hmm. that's really important. I, I mentioned imposter syndrome. One of the causes of imposter syndrome was the lack of mentors that look like the people involved. So, you, you know, for entrepreneurs, lack of CEOs, maybe in the companies. President Barack Obama, who said, you know, now the little black child can really even believe that they too can become president Presidents. because yeah. they saw a black mm -hmm. president. And even without saying words, it's a subliminal message, literally like, wow, yep. you know, I too can become president. And mm -hmm. there's so many little black kids now who say that, who say that and believe that. Yep. We just need a female president now. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have a female vice president, so it's coming. <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. You know, you mentioned a woman, successful woman in STEM who inspired you are there any others so she's the number one for me in the sciences right. there's, there's somebody else that she might not even know because mm -hmm. she ended up becoming my vice chancellor at my university but as a child i remember professor dorothy joma uh, you know she was somebody uh, that oh she was the a minister but at the same time mm -hmm. she had a phd in the sciences so mm -hmm. just looking up to her, i'm like wow as a young girl she has a phd in the sciences right. so that was somebody from a distance but in terms of my specific area now, I talk about Francis Kelsey and then Marie Curie. I don't know if you remember mm, her. Absolutely, yes. Uh, yeah. So she didn't I get always, the credit she deserved, she but not, go ahead. She did not get the credit. So that's somebody, especially when I started doing my um, research in cancer biology for my mm -hmm. PhD program, and then got to know, oh, wow, she was the one who led that research into mm -hmm. um, radiation therapy for tumors. And right. she actually was the one who discovered polonium and radium. I'm like, wow, you know. So that's somebody also that has really inspired me as a scientist. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what do you think um, needs to change in order to make the STEM field more welcoming and more inclusive for women and other under, underrepresented groups? And so this question really more like an intersection of what you do, right? You you're in STEM, but you're also in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So what can help make the STEM fields more attractive? So not only to the girl child, but to minorities. For me, you just mentioned diversity, equity, inclusion. So when you talk about diversity, right, you're looking at not just, people always think about race and ethnicity, right? But we're right. also thinking about age, sexual orientation, right. Um, gender and all of mm -hmm. that and you can still be a very diverse organization right but are you really inclusive right right so you could have a black a woman a gay guy or a gay woman and all of that in an organization but are they really called to the table for right. decision making right okay so that brings in the inclusiveness of it all so to me i think what we can do to be able to make a change First of all, we have to have more of the minorities at the decision-making table, right? Mm -hmm. That's one thing we can do. The second we can do is, again, the systemic barriers. Can we have trainings so that people are more aware of their implicit and explicit biases? Biases, right. So Absolutely. training individuals, right. 
so that people can, because sometimes you might think you're not biased, but you really are, because that might be your blind spot. But when you go through some of these trainings, it could help you to realize, oh, wow, right. I really might be biased. And then again, discrimination is something that we have to fight against because we are all the minorities, right? We see that. I'm sorry, but we see that almost every day, sometimes in very subtle ways, but yeah. it's there. So if we can have laws in place and if we can be able to speak up, be assertive and speak up, even though sometimes when you speak up, you're being labeled that angry, angry black woman. Oh my gosh. Or, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have to be assertive enough to speak up when you see those things happening. You have to stand up for yourself and say, no, this cannot happen. Another thing we can do, so besides trying to advocate for ourselves, right? Trying to have people who look like us right there at the decision-making tables to make decisions that will benefit us. And then when I think about women, for example, some women leave the workforce, but they cannot re-enter the workforce because they don't have enough leave. Okay. And that's why you keep seeing sort of a decline sometimes with women in the STEM field because they cannot come back, especially when they're in a very highly competitive area like computer engineering, Mm -hmm. computer science. So if we can have some people that can advocate for women to have, again, I know you said it's not just for women, it's for minorities as a whole. But if you could have people that could be there to say, you know what, we need an extended maternity leave or um, parental leave for these people when they have kids so they can re-enter into the workforce when they so I think that's something else we can do. Again, I'm talking right. about breaking systemic barriers, right? Barriers, right. Making it yeah. easier. Making you it know, easier. Right. I was just in Dubai. And while I was there, we went out one of these desert mm-hmm. excursions. And our partners were two Swedish guys. And mm-hmm. one of them had just had a child. Okay. So he was home for six months and his wife gets to stay home an additional oh. six months after wow. that and he was like oh he was wow. really like jealous when he, you know he had to go back to work after six months oh, so there are societies that encourage don't punish women for having children Countries where women are not having as many children, they're having a population problem. They're having a problem with just not enough young people to support the workforce. Those Italy comes to mind. You know, they have an aging population. Japan is also another one where they have an aging population. I was just having a conversation with one of my colleagues the other day, and they were saying Japan is important people from Vietnam to help with farming because the young people all want to be in Tokyo and Kyoto and the older people they are aging so they're actually having to bring labor from outside I don't think the U.S. has that pressure yet to with a population um, issue it doesn't hurt yet it doesn't hurt because I think if they were experiencing what some European countries were experiencing, they would have put um, yes, laws in, in place that would would um, take care of some of that. So yes. So can you share some of the successes you've had in your career and um, what motivated you to just keep going? I know you perseverance, definitely. But what kept you going? Was it just the degree or... What are the things that kept you going? 
So just let me, before I get to that question, there's something else I wanted to say. Absolutely. You know, sometimes you have um, certain organizations that go to certain schools to do their recruitment, right? So to be able to try to get more women or more minorities, I think some of these organizations should also go to like, let's say historically black colleges and universities. Right. And not just go to the Ivy League colleges or the colleges that are predominantly white. So that's something that should also be done. So we should not just have DE&I on paper. We should actually implement those policies right. that we have. Recruitment and retention of those minorities as well. And then even when you recruit them, <laughs> are you going to support them to advance right. their career? So that's Absolutely. something that should also be done. It's not just getting them in there and then you don't give them any support. And then and at then the end of the day, they still drop out, right? Yes, they leave. leave. Yeah. So and, that's and something. That, yeah. Thank you for that. And, you know, I am you know, in the DEI space. But for me, among all of those, I think belonging is the one that has my heart. I work in an office where I belong. I literally belong. I dress in my African attire. I belong. I don't worry about, because I, I feel comfortable. And that environment is... 50% of my job satisfaction that I okay. go to work. I like the people I work with. We work well as a group and everybody is themselves. We know about each other. We know people's children. We know, we know about them. We encourage people to share. So we're more than just that office. We are really a family. Okay. So belonging for me is so important mm -hmm. to my job to my work so definitely i'll go ahead and just go over the question again just in case so can you share some of the successes you've had in your career and what motivated you to keep pushing forward despite i'm sure many obstacles i'll say just getting my phd to me was a big deal because right. having that phd has opened many doors for me that i don't think i would have had them opened if i didn't have a phd so i always say i wouldn't want to go into our what and all of that but i just want to use this one thing just getting that phd mm -hmm. has opened yep. doors for me right the satisfaction yeah the satisfaction teaching having all these adjunct professor positions people calling you to speak at their events or occasions. I think it's all associated to the fact that you have that. And then I've also put myself out in terms of encouraging folks, right? Empowering young girls, right. speaking at various annual um, gala on specific courses that are very important, for example, kidney or cancer. So right. to me, those are very important. But I'll say one thing, for me, you have those intrinsic factors that push you to achieve more and you have the extrinsic factors, right, that push you. I've had people that have believed in my abilities, even when I doubted myself, right? right. So I think they pushed me to do even better, right? I have my, I would say, like a personal advisory committee that even when I say, ah, oh, no, Dren, just do it, you can do it, you can do it. So they push me to do even better. Then I have my own intrinsic motivational factors. I want to do better. I want right. to achieve more in life, right? I want to impact more people because like they say, once you go past 50, it's not about you anymore, right? It's about the legacy that you legacy. leave. How, right. Yes, how are you impacting others? Have you touched right. one person's life? Have you made a difference 
in somebody else's life. So those are the things that push me to even do some of the things I do, like going to do cancer awareness, going to churches to speak about cancer. Because for me, even if I make one person to go do that colonoscopy, right. that's a difference. Absolutely. So definitely that's motivating, you yes. know, having an impact even in one well. life. Because you make an impact in one life. I make an impact in one life. Somebody else makes an impact in yep. one life. I think a lot of times people look at the problem. They look at the size of the problem and may even feel defeated. But just make a difference in your little corner of the world. Yep. So definitely all those are really, really, really important things. Mm -hmm. Let's see. I mean, we've covered a lot so far. I think I have one more question. Mm -hmm. what do you think are some of the barriers for women we've talked about ways to encourage women to come in mm -hmm. what do you think are some of the other uh, barriers that may not necessarily be external but maybe some personal you think maybe just the way some young women think in terms of the stem fields you know, I think you touched on it a little bit when you spoke about the imposter syndrome, right? You mm. touched on it. Yeah, because sometimes we have the self-doubt within us that I cannot do it, right? You just get to, I'll tell you, physics was something that I struggled with. That was one subject in the sciences that just wasn't my forte at all. You know, I kept, I was just defeated for some reason that I can't do physics. So it was something that was within me. But the moment I decided that I was going to do physics, and I ended up doing it really well. So one of the things that would be holding women back besides the extrinsic factors like systemic biases, stereotypes, and all of that, it's within us. We doubt ourselves sometimes. Absolutely. We doubt, yes, we doubt. And then the imposter syndrome, sometimes you're like, hmm, would I be able to do it? You have, sometimes a self-confidence issue too, right? You doubt your ability to do something. Even when somebody tells you you're good at it, you still doubt yourself. Right. So that could be another factor. And I don't know, sometimes people say self-esteem in a way could also be because there's a difference between self-confidence and self-esteem, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes you might not even, you don't feel good about yourself inwardly and that translates, right, into what you can do. For example, public speaking. I think more women should go out there and speak to the girl child about STEM field, but you might not even feel confident to go out there and speak. So that speaks to your ability and also to a little bit of self-esteem. So we are holding ourselves back sometimes. I already mentioned about um, the fact that maybe from the world we're brought up, our home sometimes, when you're doing something as a girl child and they say, oh no, that's for boys. Right. Okay, you're driving right. a car, that's for boys. You're driving a bicycle, right. that's for boys. You're struggling to, you know how little girls always would play with um, dolls? Mm -hmm. And then you are there as a young child, a bit, uh, an infant playing with maybe um, cars or toys. Yeah, I want cars, yes. You're labeled mm -hmm. already. So I think yeah. for me, it has to really start from the home and then move on to the school and then within the working organizations. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I definitely wasn't one of the girls who wanted to play with uh, dolls. And you know what you're <laughs> talking about going into schools and mentoring has me thinking oh maybe i should go into schools and mentor some young girls or if nothing else just see show them what is possible so i'm gonna on that air commit myself 
Yes. Very good. Being available to going into elementary schools to encourage young girls to go into the sciences. So definitely you got me on the hook for that one. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. I actually, I usually go to Pinecrest Elementary School in mm -hmm. um, Silver Spring mm -hmm. to do that. Even though, again, it's not like girls, it's a class with boys and girls, right? But I go there. It's okay. It's okay. I go there and I just share with them what toxicology mm -hmm. is all about. Yeah, I've yeah. also participated in the Rising Star Kids. I and you see, they're so excited. I remember when I did that for one, I think maybe 2014 or 15, I remember. The kids were so excited. And again, I used the Talidomite story. And they're like, oh, Dr. Nyangwe, I'm going to become a toxicologist, a pharmacologist. You know? See? Yeah. See? Because so, if they had to have heard it yeah because they don't know what is possible exactly. i tell people all the time i had never heard of preventive medicine and public health in medical school i didn't wow. even know it was a specialty and wow. i was like wow i only found out i was at a point where i was so frustrated i was mm -hmm. even thinking of getting out of medicine i i think i was done with ophthalmology and i just was frustrated Mm -hmm. And I stumbled, I literally stumbled across preventive medicine and I applied to the residency program and I went back and be like, how can you leave ophthalmology for, um, you know, public preventive health? Medicine. I said, because that is where my heart is. Heart is. You know, mm -hmm. I was literally at that point where I was, I found my home in uh, preventive medicine and public health. So, so it has been a pleasure having you on but before we wrap things up, is there anything that I left out? Is there anything else that you want the listeners to know that may, I may not have covered? So um, this is specifically to young girls. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want to let you all know that the STEM field is on the move. We are going to continue seeing great, great growth in that area. So I'll encourage you young girls to try to get into STEM. It's more lucrative, there are more high paying jobs in the STEM field than in any other field. So I'll encourage you all to join the STEM field. And then I'll encourage you to find a mentor in your field, somebody who can hold your hand, teach you the ropes. Okay, so that's to the young women. And then to us who have already made it in the sciences, I encourage all of us, I, in fact, I employ all of us to try to go out there and mentor a young girl, so they too can rise and shine. I'd also encourage the men <laughs> to support women in the sciences. You know, they keep saying, I think about um, the United States, for example, and you look at the statistics for men in STEM versus women in STEM. And when you look at the population, it just doesn't reflect. We have almost half of the population as women, right? But then when you go into the STEM workforce, you see like 27% of it is women. Right, right. And again, because women are not encouraged to go up the ladder, right? We keep having all those things that put us down. So I want to encourage the men as well to support women in this journey on being women in the STEM. So those are the three last um, key pieces of advice I'll give out to the young girl child, to women in the STEM field that have made it, and to men. Thank you for that. Uh, where can listeners find you? I mean, I would say once this episode airs, you can go on womanofgridpodcast.com and the interview will be linked with the 
um, Dr. Anyangwe's webpage that gets created just specifically for this episode. You can find out more about her there. But in her own words, where can people find you online or maybe reach out to you? There's a young a woman <laughs> who is interested. Where could they find you? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. <laughs> you can find me. LinkedIn. I Love use LinkedIn for professional things. So mentoring, for example, I find it professional, right? I'm also on Facebook, but I prefer to use LinkedIn for stuff LinkedIn. like this. Right. So if you're looking for mentoring, it's LinkedIn. And I will have her LinkedIn information in the show notes. So if you can't, you know, don't panic. It's going to be there. And it will also be on the podcast webpage, womanofgreatpodcast.com. So it's crazy how fast time flies <laughs> when you're having fun. And we have come to the end of this episode of Woman of Grit. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Dr. Nguyen Anyangwe, for accepting my invitation to be on this podcast with me today. I, you know, I told you it was going to be fun. Nothing, <laughs> you know, it's going to be fun. I just wanted you to share, you know, I respect you. I just admire you too. You know, women, we need to admire each other. We need to, you know, encourage each other. So thank you for coming on Woman of Grit this evening. And I'm not going to say goodbye. I don't say goodbye. I say until next time. Take care. Thank you, Dr. Anne. And I will not end this without... <laughs> I think I'll be remiss if I don't say this to, to you, that you, you really are a role model to me as well. I admire you and all the things that you've achieved. So it's a two-way street. Thank you so Thank much you. for all you do. Mutual admiration society, yes. guys. You know, women, yep. we should we should support each other. There's that, there's that narrative that we, women can get along. Not true, not true. My best friends are women, so... Um, thank you for coming on. And um, until next time, take care. Thank you. Good night. So that's it for today's episode of Women of Grit. Thank you for joining us and don't miss the next episode in one week. And while you're waiting, you can catch up on previous episodes of our podcast on your favorite listening platforms, which you can access from our website, womanofgritpodcast.com. While on the website, you can learn more about today's guest and all our previous guests. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review and rate the show to help us reach more listeners so we can continue bringing you these incredible stories of women who have overcome challenges with grit and determination. Thank you for your support. And until next week, Remain ever grateful and never quit. It's always darkest before dawn, but light comes in the morning. Take care.